We are in Exodus 15 this morning and the great uh, act, mighty work that the Lord did for the people of Israel to lead them out of bondage in the land of Egypt. Before we read the scripture this morning, let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Let us pray together. Gracious God and most merciful Father, you have given us the rich and precious jewel of your holy word. Assist us with your spirit that it may be written in our hearts to our everlasting comfort, to reform us, to renew us according to your own image, to build us up into the perfect building of Christ, and to increase us in all heavenly virtues. Grant this, O Heavenly Father, for the same Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 15, verses 1 through 18. It is written, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea the enemy said I will pursue I will overtake I will divide the spoil my desire shall have its fill of them I will draw my sword my hand shall destroy them you blew with your wind the sea covered them they sank like lead in the mighty waters who is like you O Lord among the gods who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which you have, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Now to him who loves us, who's freed us 
from our sins by his blood. To Jesus Christ be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What is the proper response, the appropriate response to God's saving work in your life? Well, we find an answer here in Exodus 15 where we find Moses and all of Israel safely on the other side of the Red Sea from Egypt. They've just been delivered from bondage to slavery but not only that they have just witnessed God pour out his just judgment against the entire Egyptian army we will come back to this miraculous rescue and victory over the Egyptians momentarily but what are Moses and all of Israel doing here in the immediate they have broken into song They are praising God. They are exalting him. They are giving him the glory due his name for his mighty work of deliverance. This is the only appropriate response for this occasion. And so it is appropriate that we have departed from the prose of the historical narrative for the poetry of this song of praise. This chapter of Exodus actually serves more than just as an appropriate response to what has just occurred. It also serves as an appropriate gateway for what is to come. Before we get there, we must first ask how it is that we got here. We've obviously jumped ahead a little from last week when we were in chapter 3 in the account of the burning bush. And I want to encourage you to go back and read through all of the texts that we've skipped over, especially chapters 12 through 14. But let me also provide a summary of what has led us to this passage this morning. After the burning bush incident, Moses went back to Egypt as the Lord instructed. And after meeting with the elders of Israel to tell them that the Lord has heard their cries and would deliver them, Moses went to Pharaoh. He's accompanied by Aaron, his brother, whom the Lord had sent to Moses to help him. And they told Pharaoh that the Lord said to let the people of Israel go, that they might go into the wilderness and hold a feast for the Lord and worship him. Pharaoh refused, though, and increased the Israelites' work, not giving them straw to make bricks, but instead making them go and gather stubble. For straw. Notice, by the way, how the song of chapter 15 mentions in verse 7 that the Lord consumes his enemies like stubble. This word is not used by happenstance. Anyhow, after Pharaoh's response, the Lord instructed Moses and Aaron to go back to Pharaoh and tell him again that the Lord said to let his people go. And even though a miracle was performed before him by the Lord, Pharaoh still refused because his heart was hardened. And then one plague after another began to befall Egypt to demonstrate to Pharaoh that the Lord alone is God. The Nile River turned to blood. The fish died. Frogs covered the land of Egypt as did gnats and then flies. The Egyptian livestock died 
Boils began breaking out on the people and animals. Huge hail fell from the sky, large enough to destroy the crops and kill people and animals. Locusts swarmed the fields and ate the crops that had not been destroyed by the hail. Darkness covered the land where the Egyptians lived for three days. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he refused to let God's people go. And so a tenth plague was threatened, the worst of all, the death of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, human and animal alike. But still Pharaoh refused. The people of Israel were then told to sacrifice one-year-old male lambs without blemish at twilight, to spread the blood of the lambs over the doorposts of every house, The meat would be roasted and eaten. Unleavened bread would be made. It was the Passover meal that they were told to henceforth observe as a reminder of the Lord executing his judgment against the land of Egypt and delivering his people from bondage in that land. And so it was. The Lord passed over all those houses that night that had blood over the doorpost but he struck down every firstborn in all of the land including the child of pharaoh and finally pharaoh relented he had had enough he summoned moses and aaron and instructed them to leave egypt with all of their people and their flocks and their herds so after 430 years in egypt the people of israel departed And the scriptures tell us in chapter 13 that the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The Lord was displaying his presence with them and leading them by this pillar of cloud and fire. Chapter 13 also tells us that God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Now, if you know anything about geography, then you will immediately recognize that this is quite an odd route. There was a direct path out of Egypt to the north called the Via Maris, the way of the sea. In less than two weeks, the Israelites could have been in the promised land, but God had other plans From a human perspective, these plans seem to be sheer foolishness. For the Lord led Israel to a spot where they were trapped, utterly hemmed in between a huge body of water on one side and Pharaoh's army on the other. The Lord, at the beginning of chapter 14, even told the people of Israel who were on the road to freedom to turn back and to camp in a spot where they would be left completely exposed and vulnerable. But the Lord says that this is for the purpose of hardening Pharaoh's heart by providing an opportunity to Pharaoh too irresistible to pass up. And all of this will be to the Lord's glory and renown. They will know that he alone is God. And sure enough, Pharaoh saw the Israelites were trapped, and he began to wonder why he had let all of his slaves go. Now, who will build his cities and monuments for him? 
and his advisors were wondering the same thing, worried that they would now become the slaves. And so off they went after the Israelites. And the Israelites saw Pharaoh's army coming, his mighty chariots, and they shrank back in fear grumbling to Moses and asking him if he took them out into the wilderness to die because there were no graves in Egypt. After watching all of the miracles the Lord had performed, they were still filled with fear over the sight of Pharaoh's army. And after they had made it clear to Moses that they would rather serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness, Moses, who seemed to be rather annoyed, told them in a not-so-nice way to shut their mouths and to watch the Lord fight for them. And then we have one of the most memorable scenes in all of the Bible, and not just because of Charlton Heston. Moses, staff in hand, stretched out his hand over the sea. And it says in verse 21 and following in chapter 14, the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry Ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians charged in after them. And we know what happened next. With the Israelites safe on dry ground, the Lord instructed Moses once again to stretch out his hand over the sea, and the water came flooding back together over the Egyptians. And the scriptures tell us that not one of them remained. And all of Israel, standing on the shore of the Red Sea, looked out and saw a sea of dead Egyptians. And finally, verse, the final verse of chapter 14 says this, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, if we can just stop here for a moment because we need to clarify something. There have been many who have tried to explain away exactly what happened that day. I mentioned two Sundays ago that the body of water that Israel went through is really literally translated from the Hebrew as Sea of Reeds or the Reed Sea. I think it's important because it links Moses's being placed as an infant in the reeds in the Nile River to this moment where he will serve as the one who will lead God's people out of Egypt by way of this body of water that is described in this way. However, I did not mean to imply that the body of water they were crossing was not the Red Sea. You see, many have noticed the Hebrew Yom Suf Reed Sea and have argued, well, the Reed Sea... The Red Sea doesn't have reeds in it, so it must be some other body of water. But this is really just a way for them to get around the supernatural event of the Lord parting the sea. And so all sorts of theories have come about, including that the Israelites were really just wading through a shallow lake or marshland to the north of the Red Sea that has reeds in it. Or that the Israelites were crossing the very northernmost tip of the Red Sea's Gulf of Suez at a time when the tides were low. 
And after the Egyptians came, the tides changed and drowned them. There are all sorts of theories as well, by the way, about how to naturally explain the phenomenon of the plagues of Egypt. I watched a show once. There are really some very fascinating explanations that so-called experts put out there. But is there really scientific, a scientific, natural explanation for what the Bible actually says? It says that the Lord told Moses to put out his arm and that the water was parted and was like a wall on either side of the Israelites on their right hand and on their left. A wall. And the Israelites walked through on dry ground. Sort of like on the third day of creation when God separated the waters and called dry land to appear. But when the Egyptians came on the scene, the ground was thick with mud and they were looking up at this cloudy, fiery pillar that was between them and the Israelites and the Egyptians began to panic. Chaos ensued and the Lord told Moses to put out his arm again and those walls collapsed in on the Egyptians. All the scientific explanations can't take any of this into account. How in every way the Lord was setting up this Egyptian pursuit of the Israelites into this body of water. or How this pillar of cloud and fire was leading the Israelites and also serving as the rear guard for them. No, this was meant to be understood and believed on differently. There's a story about a liberal preacher who was preaching this passage at an older conservative Bible-believing church. And as this pastor spoke of Israel passing through the water, someone shouted out, Praise God saving those Israelites through the deep sea. And the preacher said, no, 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 it wasn't like that at all. It was just a shallow marshland about six inches in depth. And the member of the congregation immediately responded, praise God drowning those Egyptians in six inches of water. (laughs) Dearly beloved, we want to get it right here. What is described in the Bible is an enormous body of water. There is no other body of water that fits this description but the Red Sea, regardless of whether the modern day Red Sea has reeds in it or not. We need to see this as the miraculous event that it is because we don't want to misunderstand what the scriptures are telling us. We don't want to misconstrue this Exodus event. And you see, there are many lessons that we can learn from these chapters of scripture. For instance, we can learn that God's plans are always best, even when, perhaps especially when his plans take us on detours of difficulty. When we feel hemmed in, we can be confident that the Lord is working out his perfect plan, which will be for our good. We will see for Israel that they would have 40 years of detours and difficulty, but this was not without purpose. God was using their time in the wilderness to shape and mold them as his people, to teach them to trust him. We also learn that in moments of difficulty, to place our fears in the appropriate place. As I preached two weeks ago, we are to fear the Lord, not evil. 
The Israelites were quick to abandon their trust in God and to fear the power of Pharaoh and his mighty army despite the miracles they had seen God work through the plagues. And we can notice how their fears shift on the other side of the Red Sea. And although these lessons are valid spiritual lessons. We saw that this morning in the Sunday school lesson on Psalm 77. The Exodus event is not primarily about what we are to do in times of trouble or what we are to do when we face huge obstacles. The Exodus event is focused first and foremost on the mighty and miraculous work of the great I Am. The self-existent one who revealed himself in the burning bush. This is why all of Israel stands on the other side of the Red Sea and is amazed at the power of God. And they fear him and they put their trust in him. It's why they break into song praising God. The main point here has to do with God's glory and his power to save. It has to do with the faithfulness and steadfast love of God according to his covenant promises. It has to do with God choosing a people, not because of any merit of their own, but based entirely on his sovereign choice and his grace. It has to do with this almighty and loving God rescuing them and making them his possession. Chapter 15 cuts right to the heart of this message. There is no mention of Moses' role here or Aaron. It is only about God. It's about his glory. It's about his might. It's about his holiness. It's about his righteous judgment against his enemies and all the world knowing what happens to those who oppose him. It's about his working out salvation for his people that he might bring them to be with him under his eternal rule. But we also don't want to miss here that this story is about us. This is our story because the Exodus event provides a paradigm for how God will work out the plan of salvation for all of his people. Hopefully we're putting the pieces together here. On the shores of the Red Sea would not be the last time God led his enemy into a trap. You see, the evil ones seemed to have a sure victory. When Jesus was tried, condemned, beaten, nailed to a cross, and laid dead in a grave. And Jesus was hemmed in with a stone rolled in front of his grave. We know, however, that it is by his crucifixion that Jesus' death on a cross is no defeat at all. Just as God rolled back the waters for Israel to pass through, the stone was rolled away on that Easter morning, and the crucifixion was drawn into new light on that day, a light which revealed that through the cross, God had provided the one true spotless Passover lamb by whose blood his people would be covered. A light which revealed that the cross was about God's just judgment against sin, but also about God's loving mercy toward those who place their faith in the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. For it is by way of the cross that Jesus defeated death and the forces of evil and claimed victory as the risen Lord and Savior. 
It was by way of the cross that Jesus set his people free from the oppression of sin and death. And so it shouldn't surprise us that in the person and work of Jesus Christ is recalled for us in unmistakable ways Israel's deliverance from Egypt. For instance, we see in Matthew's gospel that an infant Jesus is carried away to Egypt to escape a tyrant who is killing babies. Matthew reveals to us that when Jesus is brought back to Israel, that his life then fulfills Hosea 11.1, 1, which states, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. We are to understand that Jesus lived out Israel's experience, but in a way that was in perfect obedience to his heavenly father. He succeeded where Israel had failed in order that he might be able to provide a true deliverance. So we are also to understand that Jesus is the new and better Moses who will lead God's people to a new promised land. We see this in Luke's gospel in the ninth chapter in the passage giving witness to the transfiguration. And who appears on that mountain but Moses and Elijah? The fact that they are on a mountain with a cloud overshadowing them should draw our minds to another moment later in the book of Exodus. But Luke says that Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and spoke with Jesus of his, Jesus's departure. The word for departure here in the Greek is exodus. It isn't just Jesus' death that is being discussed. It is the significance of his death. Through his death, God would provide a way where there was no way. It is through the death of Jesus that God would claim his people as his own, delivering them from sin and death and would bring them home to the true promised land to be with him for eternity. And have you ever thought about the sign of our deliverance? Of God claiming us and marking us as his own? What is it? Baptism. By water. We too pass through the waters. The Apostle Paul draws this connection for us in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 and 2 where he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, meaning the pillar of cloud and fire, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. He's saying that the Israelites going through the Red Sea was a form of baptism, whereby they were delivered from bondage as slaves in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh and were made a new, a holy nation by God's grace. They were a new people with a new identity under a new ruler. And their baptism points forward to a greater baptism. For now, we too who believe in Jesus Christ are marked by a journey through the waters. We are brought through the waters of baptism which represent our descent into death with Jesus on the cross and our being raised to new life with him and his resurrection. This is an exodus that we experience. We leave behind the old life with its slavery to sin and we enter a new life in Jesus Christ as a beloved child of God. Our enemies have been vanquished as we are washed in the blood of Jesus. 
As a gospel of John records Jesus saying in chapter 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed, has crossed over from death to life. Now we could go on finding these connections for quite a while including our covenant meal together, the Lord's Supper, which is a new Passover meal. But just as the Israelites stood on the other side of the Red Sea with Egypt behind them, we too are faced with the question, what is the proper response for this deliverance, this exodus that we have experienced by the blood of Jesus Christ? We too have not just been saved from something as the Israelites had been, We have been saved for something. We've been saved for God's glory. And so we come back to where we began. And the answer is most definitely to praise God, to worship him, to give him all the glory because it is a mighty and miraculous work that he has done bringing us dead people to life making us who were once not a people to be a people, making us who were once aliens and strangers to be citizens of his kingdom, making us who were once his enemies to be his dearly beloved children. If a song doesn't well up in your hearts, then you haven't understood what God has done for you. If you, if you can't say amen, you should say ouch. And what we find in Exodus chapter 15 is that this isn't just our story. This is our song. There's an amazing vision that the Apostle John receives in chapter 15 of the book of the Revelation. This is what it says. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. You see, the song of Moses will get echoed on the lips of the redeemed in Christ because this song of Moses actually tells of a greater redemption that is to come. It is the song of the lamb who is slain, who is conquered by his blood. Therefore, we are to sing now and eternally, not mumbling But loudly, boldly rejoicing, letting all the world know of the power and the goodness and the love and the faithfulness of our God, who is mighty to save. But dearly beloved, as we stand on the other side of the sea, with Egypt at our back, freed from oppression, we must also ask ourselves, how are we to live in light of this deliverance? Exodus 15 is pointing forward and asking this question. We're no longer slaves. We must no longer live as slaves. We've been purchased, set free by the blood of Jesus Christ to live as a people of God. We are his possession. 
So as God's people, as those who are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, how are we to live our lives to the praise of his glory? Because it is all about his glory. God would lead the Israelites around the wilderness for 40 years, teaching them to answer this question. He gave to them written in stone his law to answer this question as well. In the weeks ahead, we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments, asking how they should shape our lives today as God's people. But we do so remembering that we don't need a pillar of cloud and fire to lead us. We have the very real presence of God inside of us in the power of the Holy Spirit who is writing the law in our hearts and empowering us to live to the praise of God's glory. And so, as the Apostle Paul says, we are to live in step with the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. May we remember this in the weeks ahead, as we also not only remember what we have been saved from, but what we have been saved for. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for your mighty deliverance this day. We remember the work you did parting the Red Sea that your people might go across on dry land. We remember your just judgment against the Egyptians. But Lord, we also have drawn to our minds your deliverance for us in Jesus Christ who has provided us an exodus from bondage to slavery of sin and death and led us as Moses led your people has led us to the promised land heavenly father may we follow him faithfully we pray this in his holy and precious and powerful name amen In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe?